You are listening to the Equip Podcast. This weekly course seeks to equip our church, and we pray it can help you as well. Check out more resources at rockycreek.church. Open up your scriptures. We're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 1 tonight as we uh, look at this uh, a potential, uh, I think, important issue in discipleship. And that really revolves around what's called identifiable progression. That we want to be able to see that you're actually making progress in your life. And I know that you probably are saying, I would love to know that I'm making progress in my life. And to see that, um, let me ask you a question. Do you ever get to a place in life where you have arrived? No. You ever get to a place where you go, oh, I've learned enough, I'm, I'm pretty good. No, I think we always know there's room to grow. There's always ways of things that we can look at. And so that can be frustrating, but that also should be encouraging because if you don't feel like you're there yet, that's okay. None of us are, but we do want to continue to follow Jesus as closely as we can. And those opening words there on your handout says that if we are to obey the message of Jesus, complete discipleship of the whole person is our mandate, right? So what I mean by that is, uh, I think it's important for us to at least consider this truth that we want something I like to call complete discipleship, right? We're not just, well, I'm, I'm all right, or here's some areas of my life that I'm doing decent in, but don't, don't get in these kind of areas, right? We want a whole aspect, complete discipleship. I always think about it that way. Uh, it, you know, depending upon what part of the country you're from, you either ask for a to-go box or what we call a doggy box, okay, right? If you're in South Carolina, you call it a doggy box. And, and some of you know that you get those kind of styrofoam containers and whatnot, and some of you, it's just one big box, and some of you have the different containers that you can separate the things, right? And a lot of people like that because they don't like all their food touching and whatnot. Uh, and, and the issue here is that a lot of times people will kind of treat Christ like, I'm okay with you in this area and that area, but don't get in the middle of this. Complete discipleship means there's no places that we tell Christ that are off limits in our life, right? We're saying, work in me in any type of way that you, you can, you see fit. And so it, in there, by identifying any needed areas and established a specific, establishing a specific plan, you can make continual, right, and substantial progress in the things that matter most. So for you, uh, I would say that we all have needed areas to grow. But some of us just have intentional areas that are probably more needed. Some of you need growing in your faith department. I don't mean you don't have like a faith in Jesus. You just go, there's this issue coming and, and you think the sky is falling. Can God do it? And some of you are like, you got faith the size of a mustard seed. You got a faith the size of a mountain. Everything's going to be all right. Lord's got this under control. But you go, no, a needed area for me is I'm anxious all the time. I'm worried it's God going to show up. So that's a needed area in your life. Uh, some of you, the needed area in your life is relational reconciliation with somebody that's been kind of far off from you, and that, that's a needed area in your life. So with that, like, what's the thing that you're about that you're really working on as you go forward? Um, I have shared uh, a story about this man for you if you've been a part of our church for some time. This is Robert Coleman. Uh, is a guy who is 94 years old. He uh, wrote a book called The Master Plan of Evangelism in the 1960s. Uh, it's the book that I would probably say, I always say it's the top three books on my every Christian ought to read. And people will say, what are your top two? I don't know. But it's just, this one's in the top three, okay? I do know that for sure. Um, and he wrote this book at the heyday of the Billy Graham Crusades. There was a lot of Americans coming to Christ, right? But they weren't being discipled. And so in this book, which sounds like it's a book on evangelism, it's actually a book on discipleship. Because he was concerned that 
There were a lot of crusade, and even Billy Graham wrote the foreword for the book, asked him to help out because uh, Dr. Graham was concerned. We have a lot of people raising their hand walking an aisle, but then a year later we can't find them, right? They, they've been evangelized. They haven't been discipled. So he writes this book and says the master, who would be Jesus, the master's plan of evangelism was disciple 12 guys who will go and do evangelism, and they disciple other people who go do an evangelism. And his whole process, he goes, the way that Jesus taught evangelism was this, disciple a few people and turn them loose. That was the master's plan of evangelism, right? And, and so with this, um, I mentioned before that that book, when I was about 20 years old, changed my life. It's a simple book. All he does, literally, is walk through the life of Jesus and go, look what he did with these disciples. You ought to do the same thing. He just walks through it. And you see it and going, this is so simple. Like, little pieces like this. There are times where it's that Jesus has a huge crowd of people, and they're just clamoring and waiting for his next word. And he says, hey, guys, let's go and leave the crowd and go over here. And everybody's going, you got 5,000 people over here. There's only 12 of us. He's like, yeah, but I can do more work with 12 of you than I can 5,000 of them. He would lead the crowds. Why? Because the mentality was this. He could draw a crowd, but if he did not disciple the men that the crowds would follow in his absence, there would be no crowds, right? There would be no people. He had to spend the majority of his time with those 12 guys for three years. They were around him all the time. Within that, there was actually even, you can see within the way the gospel writers did this, it seemed like there were three groups of four that were kind of little groups that would go out on mission together, and sometimes he'd do two by two. And if there was only enough people for four people in the car, it was going to be Jesus, Peter, uh, James, and John. Those are the people that got in. So it's just like he even focuses in on some of these guys a little bit more who were going to be leaders even when they leave. So Jesus is all about this. So, so in this, night, uh, when I was about 20, I read this book, uh, just completely changed my life, um, and, and I read it in college. Fast forward about 10 years, I'm... Uh, I, not, not even that long, but, but uh, I was working on a seminary degree, working on my doctorate. Somebody says, hey, we're having a guest lecturer in today. His name is Dr. Robert Coleman. I was like, the Dr. Coleman? He's alive? Like, I, I didn't know. I had no idea. When I just knew I, he wrote the book in the 1960s. I'm sitting here going like, oh, how, how old is he? Was he? That man came in our seminary that day and out-preached every single preacher boy. I mean, he wore us out. He'd be lecturing, and he'd have his PowerPoint, and all of a sudden he'd start singing and worshiping, and he'd start praying, and then he'd start preaching at us. And I'm just sitting there going, like, I don't know to take notes or just repent, right? I mean, like, he didn't know what to do. It's just back and forth, back and forth. And I got to spend some time with him that week, and it was just amazing seeing this guy just get after it, right? And then fast forward another 10 years, we start working on some of this distinctive discipleship stuff here at the church, and I just have this thing, like, I would really love to tell Dr. Coleman thank you for the impact he's made on my life and how it's really impacted here. But I don't even know if he's still around. I don't know where he lives. I don't know what he's doing. So I found a number, called him up, uh, and said, Dr. Coleman, you won't remember me at all, uh, but I was in some classes here, and you did this, whatever, and I just want to thank you. And, he, and then all of a sudden, he just starts asking questions. He's like, well, tell me about how you're discipling your kids. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Dr. Coleman, I was just calling to say thank you. And he's like, well, what are you doing in your church to make sure discipleship's a priority? Like, he's just coming at me. And I'm like, Dr. Coleman, like, calm down, right? Okay, like, he's, he's, he's in his 90s. He's letting me have it. He's making sure that I'm listening and following all this different stuff. Um, then he, he starts telling me certain things about his life. And, and I'll, I'll never forget this. He said, well, my wife passed away, um, you know, uh, a couple years ago. He said, but on our tombstone, we had this written together, Partners in the Great Commission. He said, that's what we have on our, our tombstone. 
because that's what our life's been about, making disciples. And he said, I did a lot of time on a stage or in a pulpit. She did a lot from a place that maybe you wouldn't see it, but she was just as committed. He said, she has an end date on her life, but I don't have one on mine, so I'm still getting after it. And I said, well, that's great. I said, well, tell me what, what your days look like, Dr. Coleman. And he says, well, you know, my daughter took my car keys away a couple years ago because she thinks I can't drive. And, she, and then he says this, I can drive just fine, Travis. I said, okay, just like any other man would say, right, I can drive just fine. I said, okay. Um, he said, so I have to get rides to my appointments. And my response was, oh, your doctor's appointments? I, I don't know. I just, it came out of my mouth. I thought that's what he meant. He goes, no, my discipleship appointments. And I said, what do you mean, Dr. Coleman? And at, at the time, he was 93 when this conversation was happening. He said, I have three groups of men that I disciple every week. And since she took my car keys, I have to get somebody to pick me up to take me to those appointments. And he would meet with these guys every single week and just pour out everything he had. And he said, I still got time left, Trav. I want to make as, much, as many disciples as I possibly can. So with that, with some of the guys that I've been discipling over the last few years, guys that are going into the ministry, guys that serve here at the church, guys that serve in different places, uh, I asked Dr. Coleman one day if he would get on Zoom with me in the midst of all this stuff. And Dr. Coleman said, you have to talk to my son-in-law and see if I can get on the Zoom. I said, okay. So I got Dr. Coleman's... Um, on uh, on uh, son-in-law on there, and uh, Dr. Coleman just spent time discipling a group of guys that I was discipling one one day over Zoom, and I asked this, can you can I record some of this for you? He says, absolutely. I'm gonna give you like a three-minute snippet of this, okay? So you're gonna see Dr. Coleman at the bottom left, and there's a bunch of other guys here that you might know from the church. And I just asked Dr. Coleman, I said, tell me what caused you to write the book Master Plan of Evangelism, and what's this like for discipleship? I'm gonna turn this microphone. Well, I'd been a pastor for six years and was appointed as a professor at Asbury Seminary. Mm -hmm. Professor of evangelism, irony is I'd never had any training in evangelism. Wherever I'd gone to seminary, they didn't teach the subject. So what are you going to do when you're head of the whole thing now? And I had no class notes or anything. So I decided the best thing to do would get a good textbook and I had no question about the inspiration of the Bible I believe the Word of God was in there and so my first class we call the evangelism of Jesus and we would simply read through the Gospels week after week and ask the question what did Jesus do and then how does that relate to your life and we did that enough until it began to dawn on us his life was not lived by accident and all the time he was living he was giving not just great teaching and theology he was giving followers an example by which they could live and so he told them to go at the end of his life and and begin to replicate what they had seen him live. They were called disciples, which basically means learner. And the invitation in the beginning was to follow me. Out of that invitation, everything would follow in reference to his teaching, not just in doctrine, but in example. And when I began to realize he was simply asking his disciples to do what he had done himself, it dawned on me, the Great Commission 
is a lifestyle. It is based on the premise that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. And that by following him, not just in his teaching, but in his lifestyle, we would fulfill his purpose for our lives. So that's the essence of the master plan. When I saw it, I began to try to write down my notes. And then I would teach them in my class. And the students would ask questions. They really helped me write the, the master plan because I was responding to questions from the students all the time. And it took me a while to get it written down. And that was what came to be called the master plan of evangelism. And I'm still learning. Thank God he's not finished with any of us yet. <laughs> Good. Y'all see why I love that man. Uh, just an incredible, incredible story. And once again, we, we have so many uh, just incredible lessons. Every time that I, I've been able to talk with him, he just is taking every opportunity he can to say, let me teach you something. Let me, I'm learning this. Let me give it down to you, which is at the heart of discipleship. When you think through this, this section here about accepting the task of discipleship, it is important for us to at least consider that your spiritual health at the end of your life will be determined by how diligent you are right now. There is some aspect of which you are not going to get spiritually just uh, supercharged at the end of your life if you're not putting the work in now. There are things that each of us ought to be doing to be diligent to make sure that we're pursuing Christ, developing the areas in our life we see as weak areas that we need to continue to see progress in. And so the reality is in any type of area in your life, if you want to grow, you can grow. If you want to see a change, you can change. You can see progress. You can stop certain things. You can start doing other stuff. I know this about every single person I've ever come into contact with. If you want it bad enough, you'll do it. If you want it bad enough, you'll do it. Not only do you not have the will, you have the willpower if you want it bad enough, you get sick and tired of this, but you've got, if you're in Christ, you've got the presence of Jesus Christ inside you wanting that even more, right? So, so with this, this is, this is an unbelievable amount of power that you have within your own soul. If you want to grow, you can grow. And the state of a person's physical or spiritual condition is dependent upon how focused an individual applies effort. So if we think about the physical nature, um, you can desire to be fit. You can desire to be in this type of shape, to do this, to stop that. And a physical level, well, that'll happen if you focus individual and you apply that effort. Same is true for spiritual condition. If you want to grow, if you're focusing in on those areas to make sure you're growing, you apply that effort, you see that change, it takes time, right? It takes time. It does not mean that you go to the gym one time, walk, run, or whatever, like on a treadmill for five minutes, and then go jump on the scale and say, did I drop five pounds? That's typically not how it works, right? There, there, there's time, there's effort. It, it takes a while to see progress. Some of the issue is with many of us, um, we look at our lives, we don't see progress day to day. That's why we want to quit. Um, so if, you know, for those of you that have known my family since we've been here, you can go back and look at pictures of my kids five years ago and go, goodness gracious, they've changed, right? 
you don't see it day to day like I would see it. Like I don't look at my kids from yesterday and go, goodness gracious, you've grown. Okay, like I just go, you're who you've been the last week or so, I guess, you know, whatever. But if somebody hasn't seen my kids in a year, they're shocked, right? The boys sound and look like grown men. Gloria is just basically a functioning adult in a tiny frame, right? Okay, like it just, you see them and you're just like, they're, they're grown, right? They're, they're completely grown. If you haven't seen them, it's a shock. If you see them day to day, you see the progress, but it's not as gradual. You and I, are, we're seeing ourselves day in and day out, and you're not seeing dramatic progress. You know why? Because you read the Bible one day, you missed it the next. You did pretty good and haven't fallen into temptation this area for three days, then you went completely bananas for the next four days, right? You don't see the progress. But if somebody were to step back and look at you a year from now, like a year past, and say where you were spiritually a year ago to where you are now, I hope that we would say there's been some progress. Like some of you, I'm looking on, oh, there's been some progress. There's been leaps and bounds in the last year. Like you go, where I was last year near July 4th to where, to where I am now right now. Like this is, we're not even in the same, same stratosphere, right? The, the change has been significant. But day to day, it's hard, isn't it? Because you go look at the spiritual mirror and go, I'm not seeing a big change. Well, you're not supposed to. Discipleship takes time. And so what's amazing, though, is if you feel frustrated, if you feel overwhelmed, and you're looking at people in your life that are so spiritual, so godly, know the Bible so much, doing mission stuff, share the gospel with anybody, teach the Bible, and you go, oh, I want that. Why can't I do that? You need to know that the grace of Jesus puts all believers on what I would call a level playing field. There is nobody here tonight in Christ that is somehow at a deeper advantage than anybody else, that, some, that they have something that you cannot possess. Let me explain why this is so important. If we think through Jesus discipling these 12 guys, right? By the way, one of them didn't make it to the end, okay? So anybody who's discipling somebody, you might be leading a small group and you feel discouraged because somebody didn't come back, Jesus himself did 12 and one of them didn't make it, okay? So, so with that, you can give all your life away and some people aren't going to get it. Well, at the height of this, there's this guy that's kind of the guy in charge, once Jesus leaves, his name is Peter, right? You think about Peter. And um, did Peter have an interesting story? What are, what are some of the events that we remember that Peter did that was different than some of the other disciples? What was it? Betrayed him. Okay, betrayed him, right? Okay, denied him at that moment, right? Where So, so here he is on the, the night of his crucifixion. And, and they're saying, hey, where are you? You know, Don't you belong to him? He denies it over and over and over. I mean, just passionately, I don't even know the man. So, so he denied Christ. What else? Walked on water. That was in, in tandem. That was pretty awesome. Okay, so walked on water. I don't know about you. I've never done that, okay? <laughs> Try at the pool tomorrow. Guess what? You're going to sink, okay? Are you gonna, you're going to sink. You're going to sink fast. Like, walks on water. And a lot of people go, oh, well, he sunk. Well, he still had a few moments there. He was walking. That's pretty cool. I don't have that in my resume, right? Uh, you see, uh, Peter was able to do a lot of miraculous things. He was at Jesus' transfiguration, right? He, he was able to, to take the, the bread uh, and, and the fish, the loaves and the fish, to, to people out and hand out to a section of people. He, he was experiencing a whole lot of things. But look at Second Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and I want to point something out to you. Simon Peter a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. Now, I just want to stop there before I read another word. Now, who just wrote those words? The apostle Peter. 
The guy who walked on water, who preached on the day of Pentecost, who saw 3,000 get baptized the first time he opened his mouth and gave a sermon. That dude just wrote down for us to read that we have an equal standing with him. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't typically wake up in the morning thinking, you know what I'm going to do today? Walking on water. You know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to preach my heart out and see 3,000 people get baptized. You know what I'm going to do today? The same type of miraculous works that Christ did while he was on earth. I don't wake up thinking that way. But look what he says here. Simon Peter, servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So how do we have an equal standing with Peter? Is it because somehow we're as good as him? No. Is it because we're somehow as bad as him? <laughs> Maybe. What is it? It's the righteousness not of Peter, not the righteousness of me. It's the righteousness of who? God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So how am I on an equal standing with Peter? Because Peter's righteousness is Jesus' righteousness. Travis's righteousness is Jesus' righteousness. Dolly's righteousness Dolly's is Jesus' righteousness. J Jessica's, I almost said Dolly's righteousness, you're on your own. Okay, <laughs> Jessica's righteousness is Jessica's righteousness, right? You see this? It's, it's nobody here tonight at all. This is on you. He says, you're on an equal standing with me. Why? Because if you have righteousness, it's because Jesus Christ has given it to you. It, it's through grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us how many things? All things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Did you catch that? He has granted to you, child of God, everything you need to follow him. You are on an equal standing when it comes, when you go into heaven, there's not a, a little room for the people like Simon Peter and, and the rest of us JV squad. There's all of us are on an equal standing. Our righteousness is given to us through Christ on the cross, through his power, death, resurrection. So if we are able to be before God one day in heaven, it's not because we were righteous, but we believed in Christ and he put his righteousness on us the same way that Peter got there is the same way I'm going to get there. And then he says this. He's given you everything you need. You are not lacking something. I don't care if you've been following Jesus for one day or 100 years. You have what you need to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. All things that pertain, I love it, to life and godliness. Just get through the life, get through situations, and to godliness, you have what you need. And so when you look about this, he continues on going through these verses. In uh, verses 5 through 7, I, I love it. Because the next few verses, he says, so now that you're in equal standing, right? You're in equal standing with uh, Simon Peter. You've got everything that you need, and the righteousness is given to you. He goes, for this very reason, make, I love this, every what? Effort. Wait a minute. I thought I just got righteousness because I trusted in Christ. Yeah. Now what do I do? Bring some effort to this. What do you mean? Because, for this very reason, right? Because Christ has made you righteous through the gospel. Because Christ has forgiven you of all your sins. Because Christ has put your past to death. For that very reason, make every effort now to do this one thing. 
supplement your faith with these characteristics. So that you're righteous in Christ, now you get to put some work in this. This is what's called discipleship. And what do you do? You supplement your faith. Now, we know this, that you are saved through faith alone, right? You don't need faith and works to make it to heaven. I'll give you an example. Remember the two thieves uh, around Jesus when he died on the cross? One guy is, hey, get us off this cross, you know, get all this off, get, get, get me out of these consequences. And another guy goes, are you kidding me? We deserve this. He doesn't. Jesus, will you remember me? And Jesus looks at him and says, if you can get off this cross, get baptized, join a church, give the missions, and then finally share Christ with somebody, then yes. Right? Is that what Jesus said? Today you'll be with me in paradise. What? The guy who's being crucified for being a murderer. The guy who does not have a church membership on, 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 his, on, on his list. The guy who's never done really one noteworthy thing. You mean to tell me he's going to be there? Yeah, why? Because of faith. Faith alone. In Christ that I'm guilty, he's not, he's the way to heaven. Right? That's what he was there. What did he say? I'm guilty, Jesus is perfect, and he's the only way. Jesus, remember me. Jesus, give me paradise. But I'm telling you this. If that thief was able to get off the cross, you know what Jesus would then say to him for this very reason? Make every effort to supplement that faith with these things. Don't just stop at hell insurance, folks. Don't just stop with, I got saved and baptized. No, no, no. Now supplement that faith. Faith alone is enough for salvation. But once you are saved, now start doing these things to see a change happen. It says, with virtue... In virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. What is he saying here? Now that you are in Christ, start putting some work in and becoming more Christ-like. Okay? You are saved. You're saved. You don't have to worry about when I die, will I, I be accepted? You're already accepted. You're already loved. You're already forgiven. But now, for that very reason, do everything to supplement that faith, which is enough for salvation. But if you have any days to live after you're saved, supplement your faith with these things. So we see virtue, right? Is that first thing that he says. If we look at last week, we talked about those different areas that we're supposed to grow in discipleship. Virtue is really these types of kind of qualities that we want to see in our life. This is kind of cultivating development in your life where you're saying, okay, I want to be more like Christ. And so if I'm not patient, I want to be patient, right? If I'm not able to do these certain things, God, I want you to cultivate that in my life. He says then, so supplement your faith with virtue and your virtue with knowledge, right? You want to grow in your knowledge of things of the word. So this is that clarifying that doctrine in your life. So if you're still operating from the same amount of doctrinal understanding you had 20 years ago, maybe it's time to grow a little bit more, right? Don't try to get there overnight. Don't cram for the exam. Don't, don't, but just say, I want to know a little bit more than, than what I knew last year, right? Um, one of the, the best questions somebody had for me today, hey, I've been doing this, but I want to up my Bible reading. What should I do? That's a great question. I love that question, right? It's saying this. I just want a little bit more of knowledge of God's word. Do you have to be knowledgeable to be saved? No. But once you're saved, don't you want to know the one who saved you a little bit better? Right? So, okay, I'll grow and clarify doctrine in my life. He says, so add virtue, add knowledge, and add self-control. That one's easy, right? Okay? Self-control, 
This is confronting those disobedient areas in our life, as we mentioned about disobedience last week, about self-control is saying, I don't have to listen to every single desire that my body is telling me to do, right? Last year, when I, uh, when I turned 40 and decided if I was ever going to do a triathlon, it better be now, okay? Because it's just going to get more and more challenging every single year. And I, and I remember I got up on my 40th birthday and I went and ran, and then I got on the bicycle, and Amanda wanted to go for a walk, and I just kept doing it. She goes, what's wrong with you? I said, I'm telling my body, you are not in control of me, okay? Like, you will not tell me what I can and cannot do. I'm not going to listen. Now, that, that's one side, right? Now, sometimes it does tell me what I can and can't do. Um, but, but, folks, you do realize this. If you listen to everything your body tells you you need to have, you are going to be in a bad shape, right? Self-control is so important. That's pushing back, confronting in disobedience in your life, the, the next one to add to it, it says steadfastness. Steadfastness. This is engaging in the disciplines that we're supposed to have, making sure that you endure through the times. It's not just a one-and-done kind of deal. You're growing, you're moving, you're making changes, you're adapting, you're seeing progress in your life. So it says supplement that faith with virtue, with knowledge, with self-control, with steadfastness. And then it says and add godliness. This is establishing dependence. This is God, I want to be like you. So I'm, I'm praying and asking you to do a work in my life. Transform me. Make me more like you. Over time, God, work these things out of my life. Do what only you can do. God, I believe, but help my unbelief, right? Just keep moving in me. And then eventually he says to add not only that godliness, but then he says the last one there to make sure is what? It's love. It's love. It's that securing that delight that it's not just something you have to do, but it's something you get to do. You say, oh, it's such a great joy to be able to follow the Lord and it to be an actual delight rather than just a mere duty. And if we think through our life, we think about what Peter is saying there. You're in equal standing with him. There's nothing that you lack that you need. It's all through righteousness. But if you have that righteousness that comes through the gospel, now supplement that faith and keep growing. And our discipleship crisis in the church and our lives is not due to a lack of sincerity, but I believe it's due to an oversight and intentionality. A lot of us are not growing in those areas of virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, and love. Not because you sincerely don't want it. You just aren't intentional about seeing it happen. You, you get passionate and you get upset and you pray these prayers like, God, I don't want to do this anymore. But yet you rarely rarely come up with a game plan with him on how to address the issues. And so you can be sincere. You can be passionate. You can be tearful. You can be really, really genuine. But if there's no intentional plan of to make a change, guess what? It's just not going to happen. And a lot of times, if we do grow, most of our growth has been based upon another generic emphasis rather than our specific design. What I mean by that is, today, your pastor decided hopefully led by the Spirit, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 25 and talk about the parable of the ten virgins and what happens when Jesus comes back, right? You didn't ask for that. Some of you were like, I'm glad you did. Some of you are like, mm, hope next week's better, right? Okay, however you view that, that's on, you know, whatever. That can be my fault, that can be your fault. The reality is this. Did you get a selection process in Matthew 25 today? No. 
You just showed up at church tonight. All right, Trav, whatever. Okay, there, there's not. You get this. Tonight, you didn't get a vote, unfortunately, and what are we going to talk about? You're like, can we talk about something else other than discipleship? Probably not, okay? That's what we're going to be doing until Jesus comes back, okay? But here's reality. You go, I, I'm getting what Trav's serving up. I'm getting, okay, we're doing this curriculum in gospel groups, and I'm listening to this podcast, and nobody's listening to what you want to listen, and you get this book, and nobody's asking you what you want me to write a book on. You get all this stuff, and it's a generic emphasis, but your individual life right now, what do you need to grow on? Where is, where, what needs to happen in your life? Here's what scares me to death, uh, this thought a few years ago. Some of us are going through things in our life right now that there will never be a sermon series about. You ever thought of that? Some of you are never going to have on the church calendar, oh, that's an event of something I'm struggling with, right? Some of the stuff that we're struggling with, nobody's going to put on a church calendar. There's never going to be a Bible study about it. Nobody's going to write a book. Nobody's going to say, come to this two-day workshop. They won't. So what's going to happen? Either you're going to fight with that the rest of your life, or you come up with a game plan of how you are with the power of God's Word and His Spirit in you and incorporating all the things that He's given in your life. How do you start working in those areas? The area that we talked about, that distinctive discipleship process last week, just as a reminder, those six areas to look at your life, how you need to grow. The first one being delight, finding your necessary motive. What is it that you need to say that you delight in more than if there's something you delight in more than Jesus and how do you put him back on that throne of your life where he deserves to be? Where's that delight aspect? Are you at that place where it's the joy of his salvation is just infiltrating my life and I'm just excited to grow? Um, someone asked me today, Travis, do you ever get tired on Sunday mornings preaching three times and then teaching? At this point, the answer is no. You know why? Because I'm looking at faces, and I'm believing what I'm talking about, and I just want people to really get it. I really, I know people think I'm joking on this. I, I promise you, if we had to do seven services, y'all get me some Gatorade, give me a couple naps, I'll do it. I promise you I will. I just want people to get it. And I feel like right now, I'm growing so much in my life, it's not a duty. And I go, well, we're going to preach on I'm like, oh, I want to share with you people what he's teaching me right now. Like, that, that's how I feel right now, right? And that's not how I always feel. Sometimes I'm like, mm, but, but I am. I'm right now. And, and I'm saying, do you have the motive in your life? Is, is it there where you're going, I just I want to follow him, right? And I know the areas of my life where I can start slowing down, but is, is it there? Second area is, is disobedience. Confronting your sinful leanings. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love, but I'm prone to wander different than my next door neighbor because <laughs> we're just different than each other, right? We just we struggle differently. So, do you know the areas that if Satan had put a game plan together to take you out, do you know what he'd come at you with? If you do, what are you doing to fight against it? Where are you at, right? So once again, I can say, hey everybody, we're going to talk about anger next Sunday, and you go, all right, glad my spouse is here, right? Okay, like, you know, but it may not be your, the sin that so easily entangles you. So my question is, what's the sin that's easily entangling you? Are you fighting against it? Third category, doctrine. Strengthening your uncertain beliefs. What is it in your life that you need to strengthen? What is that area that you never wanted to think about, never want to talk about? You skip that chapter, you avoid that book. What is it that you need to do and say, no, no, no. I want to strengthen those uncertain beliefs and make sure I not only know what I believe, but I know why I believe it, right? There's enough going on in our culture right now. I'm telling you this right now. If you don't know what the Bible says about marriage, sexuality, gender, you name it, 
you're going to get confronted on it and you are going to literally be ready and, and you're not going to have an, and I'm not asking you to argue with the culture. I am saying, but you better know what God's word says on it, right? You got to know. So are you strengthened in those areas? Fourth area, development, cultivating your need of maturity. Where are you immature in? You might say a lot of areas, okay? Where is one area that you need to really focus in on? Maybe it's just an area of a role in your life or a responsibility that you have, something you want to develop and mature in, get a little bit better at. The fifth category is discipline, training your soul's habits. What are those areas that you want to say, okay, I want to read my Bible better, or I want to pray more, I want to start learning how to fast, whatever that may look like. But what is the discipline that you're working on, you're trying to develop in your own way as you're following Christ? And the last category is dependence, acknowledging your desperate need. What are you praying for in your life that only God can do? What are you praying for that you want like a God-sized result from, right? So when you look at those six categories, delight, disobedience, doctrine, development, discipline, and dependence, I'd encourage you. This is what I always do. I got six categories I'm working on in my life, and I go through that. What are the areas that I need to work on? And I start specifically trying to make progress. And you know what? Sometimes I do that for a year, and I realize that the doctrine issue, I'm not there yet, and I'm just going to keep working on it, right? But at least I've got a plan together. Now, really quick, starting the task, let's do this. Break it down into two areas. Number one, about personal discipleship for yourself. What does this look like? In solitude, possessing a specific guide for growth is superior to what I'd call hopeful happenstance. What I mean by that is, if you're just trying to grow in Christ, having a plan is better than, I don't know what's going to happen, right? What's Trav preaching about this week? Uh, what's, what's the Bible study going to be about this week? In solitude, if you're just by yourself... If you've got a specific guide for how you want to grow, is a whole lot better of you know, putting your spiritual kind of finger in the wind and wondering where the wind's blowing, right? Just going, okay, Lord, I want to grow in this area. Help me out. So you can do it by yourself. In solitude, it can work. But I will also say this. Yet if you have someone walking beside you or in front of you, I'm confident that your journey will experience greater long-term success. You can do it in solitude. You can grow in Christ in solitude. It is possible it's just a whole lot better when you're not by yourself right y'all ever had a moment in your life where you didn't feel like following jesus and somebody said okay yes you are okay right can i get you back up again you fell down you messed up and they said come on get back up we need those people in our life and a lot of times i believe you can do certain things in solitude but folks i, I need people in my life that look at me and say are you loving your life are you loving your wife well are you shepherding your kids are you fighting for purity Doing what you need to do to make sure you're a man of integrity. I need that in my life. This isn't in your notes, but this is the line that I say around here a whole lot. If you make a discipleship for your life, think about it this way. Good, better, and then what? Best. Good, better, best. Having a discipleship plan is good for a what? Individual. If nobody but you and Jesus knows it and you got a plan, that's good, Right? That, that's superior to you just going, I don't know what I'm doing, okay? If you have a plan that you plan on growing with, I'm all in favor. That's good. Let me tell you what's better, though. If you do it with what? A partner. Somebody alongside you that's trying to follow the same thing, so it may be like this. I've got a scripture memory goal, and I'm going to tell my accountability partner. I'm going to tell my spouse. I'm going to tell people in my group. I'm going to tell a friend, hey, I'm working on doing this. Will you keep me accountable, right? That's great. That's better. But let me tell you what's best. It's if you do it with a what? Mentor. 
somebody who's a little bit older than you, a little bit, maybe not older, but maybe a little bit more mature than you. Just somebody who can say, let me teach you what to do as you follow Christ. So with this, if you have a plan, it's good if nobody else knows about it. It's better if somebody knows about it. It's best if somebody that's spiritually more mature can help teach you in that way. Your discipleship habits are exactly what they should be considering the current results you're experiencing. Okay? Makes sense? That's sad. That's sad? Okay, you're right. Uh, if you're getting this much, potentially it could be because you're putting that much into it, right? So don't expect to be someone who knows the Word of God um, by just taking in spiritual Tic Tacs every day, right? If you want to know the Word of God, you got to put in the work. You do. you got to supplement that faith with, with that, that discipline and walking through. So what you're getting right now uh, is, I'll say this, if you feel like, I should be further along, why isn't God doing this? Okay, if you want to be closer to Jesus, I promise you, he wants the same thing. In fact, he wants that more than you do. You want to be godly? He wants that more than you do. So if there's a problem, there's a distance, it's not him like going, I, I, I'd love to help you, but I just don't like you that much. Okay, right? Okay. And the issue is not what he's doing. The issue is what I'm doing, right? Am I putting in that work? So that's discipleship for myself, intentional discipleship of another. What does that look like? Find someone who is eager and teach him or her everything you know about following Jesus. Okay? Find somebody who's eager, wants to learn, and teach them what you got. You say, I don't have a, a lot. Well, teach them that. Okay? I should know more by now. I agree. So should I. But I'll give them what I got. Right? I'm going to teach whatever I've got. Tell them what it takes to follow Jesus. Anything that they can learn to know how. And you find that person who's eager, ready to go. Give them everything you've got. God uses willing intentionality far more than seasoned capability. So if you are willing, if you are intentional with a person, I promise you God will use that far more than someone who is seasoned and just seems so put together and has everything and got, you know, all these study Bibles. they got one in both arms and, you know, they've memorized the book of Leviticus in Hebrew and all this kind of stuff, right? They're just impressive on impressive, right? They've been a missionary on every country in the world and, oh, look how great they are. I will give any day, somebody who's willing to invest their time in me versus somebody who's just a know-it-all and is not going to be intentional. So it, it's more. Just be intentional. Be willing. God can do it. I love 2 Corinthians 3.3 3 because it says, You show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone but on tablets of human hearts. That's an awesome verse. Before the 5 o'clock service, I got a text message from a guy that was actually one of the guys in that little Zoom window a little while ago who works at another church in another city right now, but I've had the privilege of discipling through the years, and he sent me a picture of something he was teaching tonight that I had taught him years ago. And he said, I just want to let you know that I'm teaching this tonight, and I just want to thank you that, you're, that man, what you've invested in me, I'm pouring it out to somebody else, and I want to thank. And I wrote back to him, 2 Corinthians 3, 3, you're, you're my letter. You know, you're my letter. Anywhere I go right now, not written with ink, but with the spirit of the living God on your life, like wherever. And, and so I told Dr. Coleman right before that, that video that, that you watched, I asked him one time, I said, hey, have you ever um, preached at North Greenville? No, I've never been there. I said, yes, you have. He's like, well, they were eating as good as it used to be, but I don't think I've been there. I said, he said, what do you mean? I said, you've been there. He goes, what? I said, I don't understand. I said, See, I just preach there in chapel, and even though you've never preached there in chapel because of your investment in me, every time I get up to speak, you're there with me, right? 
what, what I've got is what you've invested in me. And now I've got these other guys that I've given what I've got to them, and now they're going out and giving it to somebody else. This is what Christ is calling us to do. Amazingly, centuries after Jesus gave the Great Commission, on the other side of the world, the goal to make disciples is still going strong, and we get to be a part. I know it's not perfect. I know we don't hit it right all the time. But folks, something happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus ascended into heaven and said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, and it got to us. And now our job is to make sure that we don't drop the baton here. Are you growing yourself? Are you got a plan what you're going to do? Is there somebody that you're investing in? Let me pray to that end tonight. Father, thank you for sending Jesus and made disciples who've made disciples who made disciples that have made their way to, to us. Thank you for Dr. Coleman, for Dr. Lawless. Thank you for Dr. Booker in my life. And thank you for those men and mentors in my life. Thank you for Reverend Parks. Thank you for Dr. Krause. And thank you for these men who have poured and invested in my life. Now for the opportunity for me to get invested in other people. And there are folks in this room right now that have got people all around them that are uh, intentional and wanting to see them grow. But there's also people around us that we can take what we have and see them. So Lord, I pray that we would have a, a plan about how we need to grow, but also be intentional about how we can help others. Lord, until you return, help us be involved in that great commission. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you all. Thank you for listening to the Equip Podcast. Make sure to check out rockycreek.church for complete notes and additional resources. You can also subscribe to this podcast and get weekly courses delivered to you. We hope to equip you for the work of the ministry.